Welcome everyone to the Republic of Football. I'm your host, Shahan J. Raja, the college football insider at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find all of our work at TexasFootball.com. Find us on Facebook, Dave Campbell's Texas Football. Find us on Twitter at DCTF. And you can become a subscriber at TexasFootball.com slash subscribe. Well, as always, we've got Ishmael Johnson in the house. Ish, how you doing? Yo, what's up, man? Ah, oh, man, nothing much, nothing much. Just, uh, I'm, I'm hoping after this podcast I can go to the office and get one of those beautiful new Dave Campbell Sexist Basketball magazines. Yes. Uh, yes, we do officially have them. I was kind of shocked that we got them so quickly. Uh, I know, but... I'm, I'm actually, uh, behind the scenes, I'm actually scrambling to put up some stuff online right now because I didn't realize we were going to get them in so soon. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> so that just tells you, right, uh, I think we told you last week on the podcast, but go to texasbasketball.com slash store and you can order it right there. And look, I mean, again, it got here real quick. And I'm sure that if you uh, if you order it soon, I mean, what, it should only take a couple of days probably to get there, right? Yeah, we're hoping to start getting those uh, those roll, those online orders rolled out. Uh, TexasBasketball.com slash store. Yes, yes. Well, uh, exciting stuff. I think that both of us are, are glad that, uh, especially you are glad that we're done with all the planning for all of that. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but this is the Republic of Football. You know, we don't have to go too, too far. Um well, as always, I'd love to give a quick thank you to our sponsor, North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. And look, if there is somebody who could use North Texas Honda Dealers' <laughs> help right now and their helping hands, I think it has to be Chris Del Conte, right? Oh, man. They need to send all the loving care down to Austin right now. They can. They can. They have the supplies. And they have they have the capabilities to do, do that. But... Oh my goodness! Um, I, I wanted I wanted to kick off the discussion about uh, uh, the, were the topic we were going to discuss at hand with a little intro, if you, if you don't mind. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> okay, hopefully this comes through. Okay, I'm gonna stop before we get copyrighted. Um, <laughs> Just yeah, so so the reason why I played that is because just to put it in perspective, this whole controversy is about a rendition of "I've Been Working on the Railroad," and we have grown men across the state very <laughs> angry about a discourse surrounding "I've Been Working on the Railroad" because other grown men have chosen that they don't want to sing it, and you know what? <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway go on (laughs) yeah yeah okay so the news that just broke uh great reporting by the daily texan over at the university Mm -hmm. of texas to get this first um so we've heard all the controversy about the uh the eyes of texas stuff and when it comes to players and not wanting to stay on the field and and sing the song afterwards and and that kind of became a whole thing last week which i i mentioned on the on the podcast last week uh to me like, this is a little overblown, right? Like, to me, this right. is, like, I don't think that this is the reason that they're splintering or that anybody's fracturing or anything like that. You know, everybody kind of tried mm-hmm. to make it into that after Texas OU. Uh, I don't know. That might be aging poorly right now <laughs> because <laughs> the, the new news that the uh, that the Daily Texan reported is that apparently within the band, there's been a huge rift. And so mm-hmm. apparently now they are not going to be allowed to play at football games because so many people within the band said, we're not going to play the eyes of Texas. It's not something I saw coming in Mm -hmm. a lot of ways. Um, You know, uh, I I think first of all, you know, credit to them for standing up for what they believe in, but it is, and I do want to be clear, like 
that doesn't mean that the song won't be played. It's still going right. to be an issue. It's just going to be played, I'm sure, on the loudspeakers instead of by the band, right? So I right. think that's important context. Um, you know, the other thing that came out last week was that the athletic department chose to, you know, at, at first they'd kind of been like, you guys don't have to stay. You can leave. You don't have to sing the song. Now they're saying that they want players to stay behind and at least stand on the field. They don't have to sing the song or do anything specific, but mm-hmm. they just want them to at least stay on the field. Uh, so, you know, just as like sort of a thank you to fans, right? Even right. even if you're not singing along to the song and all that sort of stuff. Um, and, and again, like to me, all this off-field stuff sometimes can seem like just a distraction, right? Like it can seem like this isn't really what's going on. And I'm not saying that it's the reason that Tech's playing poorly. It's obviously not, but this is becoming something very quickly that hmm. nobody can ignore, right? Right. Yeah, It and, like, I think it's such a... The biggest disappointment to me comes from the fact that you had Del Conte and Tom Herman. I mean, I, I, I'd argue that Tom Herman was one of the most prominent coaches to defend what was happening over the summer with a lot of his players, right? When, Definitely. When the players had this list of demands that came out, with you know they wanted to originally they wanted to remove the 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 fight song or at least you know and change it or something they want some alteration to it they wanted you know statue removals and tom herman was one of the most you know prominent coaches in the nation to come out and support you know or at least listen to his players right listen and and try to empathize um with what they were what they were standing for and what they were uh what their demands were and obviously they came to the um the negotiation that, you know, they were going to rename the field and things like that. And I'll credit Chris Del Conte to that too. And now it seems like, okay, now they don't want to listen to the players. Now it's about, you know, they could have used this argument, you know, respecting the fans or whatever back in the summer, but they didn't, right? What was, why didn't they do it then? And the only thing I can say is that this was the, after the OU game was the first time it was brought back up. Um, right, right. Because he had the viral photo of Sam, and and Sam's the only. I I don't like the fact that Sam Ellinger is being used as a lightning rod because like he wasn't the only player, but the photo that went viral was made it seem like he was the only player that was out there. Um, and now it's become like a a Sam Ellinger's the only guy doing anything for this team narrative, and instead of defending the team or defending the players, Chris Del Conte's kind of fed into that by saying, "No, you're right." these guys should stand. And again, it kind of just erases what I thought was a pretty productive conversation back during the summer. Yeah. And here's the thing, right? So the reason that Texas and Crestel Conte and Tom Herman have to respond to this is because fans are sort of bringing it up, right. And making right. it an issue, you know, it's, it's becoming, and, and it's because, you know, in a lot of ways, people don't want to talk about what's happening on the field, obviously, right. Like mm-hmm. that can't be ignored in the context of all of this. Um, and, and you mentioned, I mean, we've talked about sort of Sam Ellinger as that light, lightning rod in a lot of different ways, the past couple of weeks. Um, you know, so for me, right. And I think that both of us are pretty forward, both on this podcast and publicly that, we support the rights of players. We support mm-hmm. players standing up and, and doing what they believe in. Uh, and, you know, so I do understand the difficulty because Tom Herman definitely has sort of been the example in a lot of ways of how to handle this from coaching staffs. And I, I'm curious, you know, so their statement now, they say, 
we are not going to mandate anything. We're not going to force you to sing the song or anything. But asking them to stay out on the field, do you think that's a reasonable thing for them to ask? I think it's it's not unreasonable. I'll say that. Um, yeah. I think, again, I really don't think that this is an issue if the photo doesn't go viral, if they don't lose the Red River, um, if they don't lose the Red River in the fashion that they did. I really just, it's not an unreasonable request, but I think it's it's been blown into an issue that to me is a non-issue until, you know, until the fans started speaking out about it. Um, it wasn't a non, it wasn't an issue. And I think that the, cause from what I, from what I've heard from people who've been to games this year, like, it's not like they've been singing the song at all, really. Um, and I know that they've, but I feel, I, th- I think they've been out there, whether they've been like exchanging pleasantries or whatever, kind of ignoring the song, but I think they have been out there. So, I don't think it's unreasonable, but I think it's been blown into this thing to where like the act of staying out there has come to represent something that I don't think it it necessarily does represent. Like I don't think, you know, Caden Stearns staying out there and shaking hands with the opposing quarterback or whatever after the game says anything different to the fans as opposed to him going in the locker room. Right. And the last thing that I'll kind of say on this is that this is one of, I think, the reasons that coaching at a school like Texas is mm-hmm. different than coaching a lot of other places, right? Because right. at a lot of other places, nobody gives a damn about this, right? Like, okay, you know, I mean, obviously some people might be upset that a player says something or does something or doesn't care about a tradition that other people care about, but it becomes like a statewide hot button issue when you're at the University mm-hmm. of Texas, right? Where, where it supersedes what's happening on the football field in a lot of cases, right? And mm-hmm. it is going to be kind of funny, right? I, I think that, look, I think that both of us, you know, we we don't want to see anybody ever lose a job, right? But we have to be realistic about the fact that uh, that Tom Herman, there's a good chance he won't be back after this year or maybe the next year. We don't know exactly. Um, and it is going to be very weird to write the history of Tom Herman and this having to be a part of it, right? right? This is not something that happens other places. Yeah, I don't know. It, it and like you said it's a, it's a shame because he did such a good job of 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 standing in solidarity with his players over the summer when they were when when again this was just as hot of an issue, right? Like this is it was still a prominent discussion point because he was still the, you know, he's still the head coach of Texas and like that was still a that was the stark demand that the players made right everyone was like whoa 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 what you know they're asking for the you know the school song to be changed and you know that could have been such a such a fire starter then and for what they were asking for it wasn't right it wasn't like there was not this huge gigantic backlash that resulted you know obviously they kept the fight they kept the school song but everybody and I think it stemmed from Herman being a big example. Everybody was saying, okay, well, let's hear what they had to say. And in the last month, it's just absolutely just gone to nothing. Yeah, yeah, no question about it. So uh, thanks again to our sponsor, North Texas Honda Dealers. Please bring some help down to uh, to the University of Texas down there. <laughs> uh, let's move on to a different topic. Um, so Rice football, and we'll talk about this a little bit more uh, in the previews, obviously, which we'll get to in a second. But Rice comes back this week. Rice is set to play a football game. 
Uh, obviously, they're starting the same week as the Big Ten. I don't, that wasn't planned, obviously, when, <laughs> when these schedules were made. I'm curious. Uh, now that Rice is back, they've had their weeks of practice, had their weeks of quote-unquote fall camp, whatever you want to call it. Uh, how, how do you think it's going to be? I mean, it's it's sort of weird, right? Everybody else in Conference USA has played all these games. Like, mm-hmm. like UTSA is already at six games. I mean, I, I guess my question is, we sort of thought that Rice potentially might consider not playing. Are you kind of surprised that we're at this point, and how do you think Rice is going to kind of fare now jumping in basically midseason? Yeah, it, it's it's interesting because... You, I wondered with a lot of teams when that kind of breaking point would be, right? Where it's like they haven't played at a certain point and is there a use of playing four or five games, right? Um, or in Rice's case, just six. Um, you know, I, I don't... I almost don't know what to expect because they get Middle Tennessee and we can talk about the game itself, the matchup itself, but, I mean, Middle Tennessee's not good, but, I mean, you're playing a rice team that's you know literally almost literally two months <laughs> um two months greener than everybody else and so like i am shocked because it did look like back in mid-september it looked like we would not get a rice season like just straight up because i mean houston baptist was playing and they were only a couple miles apart and so you're like okay well what's the difference you know what 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 is one program seeing that the other isn't and i just thought that i honestly thought that we wouldn't get a rice season honestly um and yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to expect. Yeah, and I think that's a reasonable thing to think, right? And this is one of the reasons why the NCAA decided that this year was not going to count against eligibility. So that, you know, mm-hmm. you're not just throwing Mike Collins out there and wasting, you know, the last year of his career. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is going to be interesting, right? Because the other thing, uh, too, and, and I do need to go back through, you know, I mean, it's just been so long. We don't even know where everybody's rosters are at right now. Right. Um, you know, but like, for example, Tyree Thornton was a guy who was going to transfer, right? He entered the transfer mm-hmm. portal. I don't know whether he's expected to be part of the team for this season. You know, I, I'm curious to see whether that becomes an issue. I'm curious to see whether other guys choose to opt out of the season uh, just because, again, it's a weird season. Um, yeah, it, it, this was always, I think, going to be a little bit of an interesting year for Rice because they had so much returning production, but with being so behind everybody, I kind of guess, it's going to be sort of a weird deal to figure out whether this team is ready to play, and, and also, it's going to be interesting, I think, to figure out whether this team is going to benefit in a lot of ways from playing. Mm-hmm. So, let's go ahead and uh, jump straight into games of the week. Uh, so, starting off. 11 a.m. on ESPN+. Plus. We've got UTEP going to Charlotte. Charlotte, uh, this is a little bit of a surprise to me. Charlotte's a 14-and-a-half point under... Uh, favorite, sorry, in this game. So UTEP is 14-and-a-half point underdogs heading on the road to Charlotte. Mm, I don't know. That's not that... I don't know. I guess it's... I mean, you're obviously you're shocked that it's that much in favor of Charlotte. Yes. Yeah, I, I I don't know if it's just Vegas still very skeptical of of what UTEP is. Um, I'm going to say UTEP covers, but I don't know if I'm that shocked. I'm really disappointed that that Southern Miss game was postponed because I think Definitely. that really that really could have really nailed down what UTEP was. Um, because I think we have 
again, we both liked how they were against LaTeX, and I think they do really have a pretty solid and reliable defense. And I guess it's just a mystery of like what that game versus UL Monroe represents. Because again, UL Monroe might be the worst team in college football, or at least you know FBS. Um, but I think we both like LaTeX. I think LaTeX's pretty good, and UTEP was right in that game till the very end. So. I don't know. And, and and then, of course, Charlotte hasn't necessarily looked that great either. So, Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that what it comes down to for me, right, is that UTEP, again, winning that ULM game, I don't know exactly how much that means, but it is something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I think that they confirmed a lot of that production by playing Louisiana Tech close and having mm-hmm. a chance to win that game at the end. Like, that to me says, I'm not saying that they're a great team or even, like, a good team, right? But I think that they're not a mirage, right? Like, I don't mm. think that they're a team that just had this crazy performance against ULM and that's going to be it for them. You know, that that's just what sure. it says to me. And on the flip side for Charlotte, like, you know, again, they've played FAU and lost. They played them close. You know, that's fine. They played App State and lost pretty big. And they played UNT and UNT made enough mistakes to make them look good, right? But mm. like, they're still one and two. Like we don't, I don't yeah. feel like we know that much about Charlotte right now. They lost a lot of production from last year, and and it's not like they've shown a whole lot to me, you know. So, to me, like I think it's perfectly reasonable for Charlotte to be favored by seven in this game. Mm-hmm. But you're talking like almost three scores when you're putting up a fourteen and a half point line, and I think that UTEP. Uh, I mean, <laughs> look, th- this can this might bite me in the ass, but I think UTEP deserves <laughs> a little bit more respect than that. That's fair. No, no, I, I could see it being ten, um, or even or even fourteen flat. Like I can I can see it being anything like that. I, the more I think about it, the more I'm I'm I guess I'll side with you that it is just too much respect to what Charlotte has shown compared to what UTIP has shown. Yeah, and and the thing that I'll say right is that you know in in ESPN's matchup predictor, like Charlotte has a ninety two point three percent chance to win this game. Yeah, I was just looking at that. That's and- a little, that's too much. That seems insane, right? Like, yeah. and and I understand why because UTEP, I'm sure, you know, and they should have a lot of predictive metrics from previous seasons, and I'm sure mm-hmm. those are all just absolutely terrible, right? <laughs> like, I'm sure that they're awful, but, uh, but I mean, at the same time, again, like UTEP, two of their three best offensive players weren't part of those predictive metrics, right? With Gavin mm-hmm. Hardison and Deion Hankins, and even Jacob Cowing, who wasn't really part of that until Gavin Hardison started playing last year, so. Right. I just feel like, I feel like, again, it's reasonable for Vegas's models to sort of have this and for ESPN's models to kind of have this. But when I watch UTEP play, I think that they've played better than that through the first several games of the year. Again, their, their one negative data point is playing Texas, which, sure, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, they're worse than Texas. Congrats. Right. Like, <laughs> you know, so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna take uh, UTEP to cover easy. I really wouldn't be surprised if this ends up being a three- to seven-point game. And, and honestly, like, hell, if UTEP goes on the road and really has a chance to win this game, I mean, we're <laughs> then we're cooking with grease there, right? Like, I mean, sure. all of a sudden, all of a sudden things look real interesting. And I think that Charlotte's also been pretty susceptible against the run um, on defense. So, that I mean, that could spell yeah. something positive for Deion Hankins. Um, their defense isn't great. I mean, they, they've let up some big points um, or let up some big yards at least. So it's, I guess it's about UTEP maybe turning those yards into points because Charlotte's, like I said, they've they've given up a lot of yards, but they haven't necessarily been, you know, lit up. Right, right. So I think that if UTEP uh, can move the ball, I think they're going to be in good shape. So right. 
Moving on, uh, we got TCU versus Oklahoma, 11 a.m. on ABC. Oklahoma is a six and a half point favorite in this one. Oh, that's a good line. Um, I don't know. What are you thinking? <laughs> that one. That's a good. I didn't expect that good of a line. That's a good line. <laughs> yeah. Um. So these are two teams who have mostly, I'd say, looked like garbage for the most part. <laughs> right. Uh, um. Both one and two in conference. Sometimes uh, good garbage. <laughs> yes. Uh, so they're they're combined two and four in conference play, right? Like these are two teams that we may be expected to come in and compete for the conference, and that just straight up has not happened to this point. Obviously, mm. uh, you know, I I would say that I am more confident. Well, let me phrase it like this: Oklahoma is a decent team that's made a lot of mistakes. Right sure. through their first couple of games, they've turned sure. over the ball an insane amount. They've mm-hmm. made mistakes on defense and had lapses. Whereas TCU, uh, in my opinion, has been more along the lines of kind of being a not very good team that's made plays against mm-hmm. Texas, late against Iowa State. But at the same time, I mean, again, like <laughs> TCU is also a team that forces teams to make mistakes on defense. And sure. You know, that's that's something that I think will probably happen. I think that Spencer Rattler probably will throw two picks against TCU this week, right? But mm-hmm. the question is whether Max Duggan won't throw two picks the other way. You know, it's just, right. this is, I, I don't know. This is going to be a game, I think, of who makes the least mistakes. And, oh man, I don't really feel particularly good about either of them doing that. Yeah, that's, that's I feel, that's kind of what I feel. I think that, Spencer Rattler will make mistakes, obviously, because TCU's defense is really good. In particular, their secondary is really good. Um, And I think that, but the difference is, when OU's made mistakes, they've made mistakes to offenses that have Sam Ellinger, Brock Purdy, Skylar Thompson, Deuce Vaughn, right? And so I just don't see, while I think Max Duggan is a much improved quarterback, I just don't see him on on the level of even a Skylar Thompson right now. Um, to be able to take advantage of a of a defense that is susceptible to big plays, but consistently, I don't see Max Duggan. You know, even if you spot him the ball at the fifty or the you know the your their own forty, I don't know if I trust him to punch it in every time. Yeah, and and I do want to be clear, right? Like Max Duggan's the face of that offense. He's yes. not been the issue with that offense. It's really sure. been more the offensive line that's been sure. a real issue. And and also, I their receivers have not been very good so far this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and but, they seem to be like it's weird. They seem to be not sure of who their running back is either. Like they have a uh, lot. They have a yeah. lot of talent, but like. I mean, uh, Kendra Miller was getting in there, which, I mean, I'm yeah. glad, you know, shout out Mount Enterprise, but, like, I didn't expect him to be getting in that much, um, as much yeah, as he did. Yeah, he's been in quite a bit. Yeah, and so, like, I'm, I'm, I guess, to me, it looks like they're still trying to figure out how many, because, I mean, they have, like, four or five capable backs, so, like, it seems like they're still shuffling to figure things out, and, you know, once they do, I, I, I do feel confident that their running game will be the bulk of their offense, but, I mean, right now, it seems like they're still looking for answers there, so... I don't necessarily trust them to get that fixed against Oklahoma. Um, and so, yeah, I, don't, I, I, I just feel that it could be, it could very easily be like a five or four touchdown two interception game for Spencer Rattler and like a one touchdown two interception game for Max Duggan or something. Right. Now, the one thing I, I do think that I know what this game is going to hinge on. And uh, I'll, I'll ask you this. Can you guess as a team what Oklahoma averages in yards per carry? <sighs> Uh, four yards a carry. 
3.65. They've been horrific running the ball this year, but TCU has been very susceptible to the big running play. So I think that's going to be a big thing, too, is trying to figure out uh, whether Lincoln Riley is going to get to a point where he trusts his very young running backs because that's that's been a huge issue this year, has been that their running backs have not played well and also that their offensive line hasn't played very well. But if Oklahoma can improve on that, if they can average – I mean, again, these are bad numbers from what you expect from Oklahoma, but if they can average 4.2 yards per carry, you know, I think they're in okay shape, right? And and I think that that's going to be kind of what this game hinges on. Uh, Look, to me, when I see a six and a half point line involving Oklahoma, like (laughs) that to me (laughs) is more of just a pick because Oklahoma Mm -hmm. doesn't lose by one point. You know, they just don't play that kind of thing. The question becomes just, does Oklahoma win or lose? Uh, I think Oklahoma wins. I think it ends up being by about seven. Um, but again, I think this one could go either way. Yeah, I definitely think Oklahoma covers too. Um, I would not be surprised if it's maybe 14. I think this could, to me, this is a very scary game for TCU because I think Oklahoma maybe got a bit of a boost from that Texas win in the way that they won. Um, and so I'm, I'm, and I really don't want that Kansas state loss to, to dictate, or to kind of, you know, to mean anything more, but I feel like that might have been a little bit of a wake-up call for TCU as well, to, as opposed to, like, managing their expectations for this year. Definitely, definitely. So uh, both teams, I believe, coming off the bye, so that's also going to make things, I think, pretty interesting. So next up, we're moving to the midday time slot. We're starting off with Texas versus Baylor at 2.30 p.m. on ESPN. UT's an 8.5-point favorite in this game. And <sighs> the thing that's interesting with this game, right, first mm-hmm. – you have all that. I mean, the fact that we have to talk about that crap at the beginning of the show about all this, <laughs> this off-field distraction is honestly hilarious to me, right? Like, right. I, I, I really feel like we're the type of people, both of us, who would rather just not address that. But it's becoming impossible to ignore all this, right? Like, right. You, you can't tell the story of this Texas football season without addressing the bizarre crap that's going on right now. And then on the flip side. Uh, Tom Herman kind of acknowledged that he's been going on Baylor message boards trying to figure out <laughs> who is going to be playing for Baylor. Right? Tom Herman will never log off. <laughs> and you know what? If I respect it. I, I do too. <laughs> if these coaches aren't going to say anything, why wouldn't they be going online to try and find like no coach in the country? Like, or, I mean, there, there are some coaches, but like there are so many coaches who don't say anything about injuries unless right, they're out right, for right. the year. Why wouldn't you try to figure this out? Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, uh, there's a lot of bad things on message boards, as I think both you and I know. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, every so often you get like this nugget of information that comes out early that, that you know, yep. ends up having some truth to it. So, hey, you know what? When you're uh, playing against a team in Baylor that shut down practices for a whole damn week because <laughs> of COVID cases uh, and you don't know who's still going to have to be, you know, sitting out for this game. Hell, why not? Right. Like, I mean, right. Last year against Baylor, obviously, Texas didn't score an offensive touchdown until there was one second left in the game. Give yourself a better chance this time. Right. Yeah, I think... So, I... You know who's really happy that this Eyes of Texas narrative is coming up? Who's that? Uh, Larry Fedora and Chris Ash. Because (laughs) the conversation about this game... As comp- is it should be about how both these sides of the both their sides of the ball have looked like butt basically, right. um, and how both of those guys are brought in to fix exactly what has looked like butt 
<laughs> and so I think that especially Chris Ash, he's over the moon that this narrative about the eyes of Texas is coming out because no one has to talk about how his defense couldn't stop anything <laughs> against Oklahoma, despite being spotted so many points. And, you know, it, 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 it's been bad, but that's, that's the side of the ball. that's going to decide this game, right? That's the matchup. Like it's going to be this disappointing offense versus this disappointing defense and who can, I mean, last year that was somewhat the narrative, but like, here's, here's the, here's the difference to me last year. Obviously Baylor's defense was the difference in the entire game. Baylor's defense has gotten worse. Not, you know, just not, not just talent wise, but just, you know, they lost players, their new system, all that. They're still good. They're still probably the, I mean, Texas offense probably has taken a step forward, but they're still really good. Texas offense, I'd say, is better, or if, or if the same, Baylor's defense has taken a step back. I right. don't know if Baylor's offense has taken a step forward to be able to match up or make up the difference that their defense has made. And that's the thing. That's the big difference to me, is I don't know if Baylor's offense can score enough to be able to mitigate what I think their defense will allow this year. So... Here's the deal for me, right? I think that Baylor's defense, if fully healthy, which is the hugest caveat in the history of football, <laughs> sure. uh, you know, Baylor, Baylor's defense, depending on who's out there, I do think that they match up pretty well with this Texas offense, okay. right? Because I, I think that they, uh, I think that you know, they have done a good job of stopping the run so far. Uh, I think that they have the defensive backs to be able to match up with Texas's more inexperienced receivers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the issue just becomes, you know, I, I, and I, this is a real issue, is that, first of all, we don't know who's going to be there. And mm-hmm. second of all, we also just don't necessarily know whether Baylor's defensive line is going to be able to win the way that they did last year. That was right, obviously I was about how to say, they won that's, the game. Yeah, James Lynch, I mean, those guys last year just absolutely right. dominated. Right. And and that's the thing, right? Like, I, I think that a lot of people heading in the, into this year thought, well, if Baylor drops off, which, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and make a grand declaration that they've fallen off as a team, right? Because, right. Just, you know, they've played one bad game. I'm not, I'm not sit, writing the season for them. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but, you know, the one thing that... I think that we thought was that, well, if they drop off, it's because the offense stays the same and the defense like falls off a cliff. And that hasn't happened so far. They've played really right. well on defense. But uh, but like you said, I mean, I just I don't know what to expect from this offense. And mm-hmm. Texas is good enough up front that especially if Baylor's rotating in some offensive linemen who aren't supposed to be playing right now, which is what happened through the first two weeks of the year, like Charlie Brewer's in trouble. And he already <laughs> didn't look so good in the first two games. And so... I'm curious to see what Baylor tries to do offensively to to build up that gap because I think that they're probably going to be reaching a point where you can't expect this to be a, a QB first offense, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I just don't think that you can. Now they've run the ball pretty well in both of the games that they've played, and I'm curious whether that becomes a bigger part of the offense. I'm curious if we see some packages with a Gary Bohannon in the game, like. I think that's something that they should consider at least. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. This is such a, a funny game, right? Because you just don't even know what the team that you're going to see on the field looks like. Right. And like we know Texas's weakness is their secondary. and But the difference last year was Denzel Mims. Like they had, Baylor had a guy who could absolutely exploit whatever the secondary threw at them, right? And so this year, 
We know that their weakness is still the secondary. We know their strength is the front seven in those first and second levels of the defense. Does Baylor have somebody who can take the top off, right? Like that is consistently take the top off. And yeah, I don't know. It, it, it is hard to to pinpoint exactly how this is going to go. Um, but that's kind of why I lean towards maybe the sure bet on Texas's offense. Yeah, I, I do think that I'm going to lean towards Texas uh, winning. I mean, again, eight and a half feels like a lot, <laughs> but that's fair. That's I, fair. I think that um, I do think that I'm going to take them to cover it. Like again, by like a right at ten points, probably. And I want to be clear too, right? Like Baylor has the skill talent definitely to take the top off of this defense. Mm-hmm. The question is whether the ball is going to be delivered to them. And yeah. You know, I think that everybody who's followed my Twitter feed and this podcast and my writing for the last several years knows that I'm pretty high on Charlie Brewer as a player. But if we see the Brewer that we saw late last year through the first two games of this year, I mean, it's just not there right now. Sure. And I think another another reason in favor of maybe the line, um, at least Baylor covering, is just look at Texas wins, right? Outside of UTEP, I mean, you have overtime win against Tech, Two-point loss to TCU, four-overtime loss to Oklahoma. I'd say Baylor is well within those three, you know, somewhere in between those three teams in terms of caliber. And, I, you know, I just don't think Texas has enough to win by nine or ten or something like that. Definitely. I mean, I I think that's totally fair. So, uh, again, don't feel good about this line. I'm going to narrowly take Texas to cover. But but like you said, they haven't beaten anybody except Utah by ten this year. So, who knows? Mm -hmm. Uh, Next up... Houston at Navy, 2.30 p.m. on CBS Sports Network. Houston, a 14-point favorite in this game. Whew. How about Houston, man? Jesus. we have, I haven't had a chance to talk about Houston with, uh, that much with you. Um, really good? <laughs> uh, aside from the side, I mean, B- BYU looks awesome, so, like, I'm not going to really hold that against him. Um, no, no. But, no, my no. God. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, I think that Houston looked really encouraging. I, I really wish they could have pulled out that game last week because I think that sure, just, sure. just just more because of the schedule than because, mm-hmm. you know, of, of what I need to see from Houston. Like, I think that Houston's a legit top 20 team right now, you know, that sort of caliber. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the issue, obviously, is they have to play a whole lot of other <laughs> top 25 caliber teams as well. But, <laughs> um, you know, just talking quickly, I mean, I don't think that we need to talk too much about this Navy team because – they're only okay, I'd say. Right. You know, they beat Tulane by three, but it was a pretty ugly game. They lost 55-3 to three to BYU. Uh, they beat Temple by two, beat East they Carolina by four. got stomped by, by Air Force. Got stomped by Air Force. Like, this isn't an especially good team, I don't think. Uh, they've been mm-hmm. especially susceptible to the pass, which obviously bodes well based on how Clayton Toon's playing right now. I, I just don't see Navy having the firepower, firepower, excuse me, to be able to keep up with Houston. Yeah, no, I definitely see that. Um, I mean, we know how Houston, we know how Navy plays. Uh, the minute uh, Houston gets up ten points, they're in panic mode. They're trying to throw from that flex bone, and you know, every anytime one of these service academies gets down, like it, it that's obviously not in their game plan because their offense is not meant to to you know to throw the ball or to chase games and i think houston has too much talent um i think houston i think navy is like kind of susceptible to that like old adage that like there has to be one bad service academy just because there are only so many players (laughs) who can play these systems and so like obviously army is the good one right now uh air force looks to be the middle one and the navy's kind of sinking towards the back so 
I mean, it could just be, you know, a bad or a whatever Navy year. Um, and unfortunately, they're running into a probably a pretty good Houston team. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think, uh, I think you know, let's let's just talk for a second about Houston, because like you mentioned, we haven't mm-hmm. had a, a whole lot to say about them so far. But I mean, where do you think that their biggest improvement has come uh, since that 2019 season? It has to be, I mean, just their consistency on offense. Like, they, they look like they know what they are, right? Like, last year... It was, and that's not just Clayton Toon, that's Porter, that's, you know, Mobile Car. Like, they look like they just know what they're trying to establish on offense. And last year, I was like, I think I know, but I'm not totally sure because they, they were like a half step off basically the whole season. Um, we talked about, like, them putting together a good quarter, like, good, a good half, things like that. And I guess through two games now, if they just brush up, like, they, they've started slow, which, you know, I think against Tulane, it was understandable. Um, BYU was a little bit more concerning, but, again, they got they got their act together um, by the second quarter. But I think they just, they look like a Holgerson team now. They look like a team that's really trying to stretch the field on offense, um, but also trying to hit you when it can with, with the running game. And they, they look like the team that can just hit you for a big play at any moment. I don't know. Like, I love what they look like this year. And I, di- I just didn't expect that from Clayton too last year. I thought he was a holdover quarterback until they can get somebody else in. But he looks like somebody that, you know, Dan Holgerson fully trusts now, which is wild to think about. Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to put two aside. I think that his, his success has been obvious. Uh, two guys who I think have been really critical in terms of stepping up. Uh, one, you mentioned him, Kyle Porter. I, I mm-hmm. think that he just looks so much more agile than I mm-hmm. ever remember him looking, either at Houston or at Texas, honestly. Right, like, I mean, right. we're, we're talking back since high school. Uh, you know, they're using him a lot more sort of in the stretch game. They're not just using him as sort of a, a power back, which I think is a big deal. Like, I mean, he's a big guy. He can withstand punishment. But I think that it's been a real improvement for them to be able to get him outside a little bit. And... I mean, again, BYU is a really good team, so you know he was good, like not not as good as he was against Tulane because you know again they're just a better defense. But mm-hmm. uh, but I think that he was a huge part of them being able to to create some consistent offense. And on the other side, the guy who I really want to point to is Peyton Turner through two games. Okay. I mean, he's been he's been a monster through two games. I mean, really really dominated Tulane's offensive line through the first couple of games. You know, for for me. I sort of thought that he was going to, you know, again, kind of like last year, be a very good sort of role player, right? Mm-hmm. Like a guy who's setting the edge like he's supposed to, a guy who, you know, maybe breaks through a couple of times. But I think he's really improved as a pass rusher, too. You know, through through two games, he already has three sacks, which he only had four last season. Uh, I think that his growth has been obvious. And, you know, I think that Houston's defensive line as a unit has been playing really well. But I think that Turner really stands apart as being sort of a, a guy who I think could uh, be in line for an all-Texas college nod by the end of the year. Sure, sure. And I think, I think one of the things that, you know— Obviously, Holgerson gets credit for being you know, a quarterback guy, right? We think of Will Greer, we think of Geno Smith, Brandon Whedon. But, like, all of those offenses had guys in the backfield who were capable of over 1,000 yards from scrimmage, right? Mm-hmm. And so even look, at, look back at his West Virginia team from last year, they had uh, McCoy. I forgot, his, I forgot his first name. Uh, Kennedy McCoy. Um, and then they had – and then a couple years ago, they had Justin Crawford, right? These guys that are capable of maybe getting you seven to 800 yards on the ground and then that extra 200, 300 in the, in the passing game. But it was like guys that you – defenses had to worry about maybe they had two of them right they may have two of them this year with with mobile car and porter if if the car can get some something going um 
but yeah, like I just I just feel like now he has the balance he wants and he has the threat. Obviously, Toon's gonna be the guy that defenses mainly worry about, but Holgerson is a guy that gives that balance. Uh, is a guy that likes that balance to some extent. Yeah, and and thinking back to some of his better teams, like uh, like Charles Sims was a guy right at running back who really played well at West Virginia, and Wendell Smallwood, mm-hmm. another guy who turned into an NFL player. Right, like I was trying to think, of, I was trying to get a Oklahoma State's running back his that that the twelve and one year. I'm trying to think of uh, it. That's a good question. Uh, Joseph it's, Randall, it's, right here. Yes, Joseph Randall, of course. And yeah, that's kind of the funny thing that you mentioned, right? Because like in a lot of ways, um, you know, in, in multiple multiple different head coaches have, have gone on this wave, but like in terms of the air raid guys, like Dana was one of the first to really turn it into a you know a dual threat system, right? Mm-hmm. Because you know it's it's funny. I mean, if we want to go back to Texas A&M last week a little bit, since we didn't get to talk about it, like you know, you see with this Mike Leach offense, it's like all right, well, you know, if we cover the receivers and run after the quarterback, good things can happen. Well, mm-hmm. you can't oh wait, do sorry, that. it was uh, it was Kendall Hunter. Sorry, it wasn't Joseph Randall. It was Kendall Hunter. Was the twenty ten oh, running was back gone by then? Huh. How I about think. That? Well, I think Randall was the next year when Holgerson oh, okay. left for West Virginia. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Oh yes, but anyway, still sense. even better, Kendall sense. Hunter. Like <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. That makes sense. That makes sense. So I always mix up these timelines, man. All these air raid guys being in place at different right? times. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it, I think that it's been obvious, sort of how much uh, Dana Holgerson's been able to, to sort of create almost this spread running game out of these air raid concepts. And um, and actually, I think that South Latrell is another coach that's really brought that along. And obviously, Lincoln Riley's kind of been the standard bearer for that mm-hmm. um, in, in terms of bringing the two together. But uh, yeah, I mean, last year that wasn't really the case. And I think that this year having that consistent rushing threat has been huge for them. So Moving on. Uh, anyway, I think that both of us are taking Houston to cover. But, oh, yeah, um, definitely. <laughs> moving on. Uh, we talked about it briefly. Rice football is back. They're playing Middle Tennessee, 2.30 p.m. on ESPN3. Rice is a three-and-a-half-point favorite in this game. Uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of – I mean, that's fair. It's basically a pick Um, I think I'm going to go with Middle Tennessee. Just because I just, it's the first game. It's really weird. I don't think Middle Tennessee is any good, but I would not be surprised if Rice just looks rusty. I mean, we're, we think they're going to be good. We think they're going to be better than last year, obviously. I still think they're going to be good, but I think it's asking a lot to come out and look like the team that we thought they were going to be this year right out the gate. I would not be shocked if Middle Tennessee wins or if they, if Rice has to really pull one out close. Um, yeah, give me Middle Tennessee to cover that. Yeah, so um, I kind of think that Middle Tennessee is garbage, right? And that's fair. Uh, they're they're one in five, uh, but the flip side to that, like you said, is that they've played six games. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, last week against North Texas, because of North Texas mistakes, they were able to get some stuff going offensively. And so I think that I think that ultimately. Rice still is a better team coming into this game, but it just mm-hmm. takes time, right? It takes time for a defense to come together. Uh, now, I will say, I do think that Rice is still so much better than Middle Tennessee, I'm going to pick them to cover, mm-hmm. but it's going to be a much closer game than the quality of these two teams, to me at least. I mean, again, I think I think like the metrics and stuff like that would probably have these teams a little closer, but to me, I think Rice is potentially a much better team than Middle Tennessee when they get going, but I, I don't expect that to show up in week one. Sure, that's fair. 
So, and it's hard to talk uh, about it because we don't know what to expect from rice. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll have a lot more rice takes uh, when we can finally talk about them this weekend after right. watching, right? So, um, next up, we got a 4:30 p.m. game: Texas Tech versus West Virginia on ESPN two. West Virginia three-point favorite. Uh, notable in this game, we mentioned it briefly two weeks ago. Texas Tech's going to have a new starting quarterback in Henry Columbia. Oof. Um. I don't know. We didn't have a, we didn't have a really a discussion about that when when it got word that um, Bowman was getting benched. What what are your what are your thoughts? Yeah, uh, I think that Columbia's been better when he's been in the game than Bowman. And I don't think it's been that close. And so mm-hmm. the thing that I'll say is that Bowman to me is a much more talented player. But the thing that Columbia brings is that I think that Columbia has shown that he consistently can move the ball with his legs too. And I think mm-hmm. that, you know, we saw last year with, with Jet Duffy when he was able to right. come in and spell Alan Bowman. The offense looked better. It just looked better, right? And I, I don't know. I mean, I definitely, I, I'm not going to sit here and say that I've evaluated enough tape to to know why Alan Bowman hasn't worked in this offense, but I think it's fair to say that it just has not been the same. And, sure. you know, maybe it's, it's Cliff just being that good a play caller that it was able to cover up some of the flaws. Like, I think that... You know, one of the big things for me is that I, I just don't think that Bowman's been making the best reads uh, mm-hmm. so far in this offense. And, and I don't know whether that's a him thing. I don't know whether that's a play caller thing. I have no idea, right? Like, I'm not going to try to ascribe blame to Bowman. And, and Matt Wells is very clear. Like, this is not about Alan Bowman. It's about Henry, right? Like, this right. is about another guy being better. So, um, I do think that... Well, it, just to back up a little bit, I think that Texas Tech struggles this year have been much more because of struggles on offense than because of defense. I actually think that the defense has played pretty decently the first couple weeks of the year. They just Mm. keep being put in bad spots. So all that to say, I don't know exactly what this means, right? Like, I don't know exactly what this means for this specific football game. Uh, This is a bad game for Henry Columbia to make his first start because West Virginia's defense is pretty terrifying. They look pretty good. I believe at this point they're number one in the Big 12 in both rushing and passing defense. So, good luck. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah, this is is a tough one. I think, I mean, tough one for Columbia. I don't think it's a tough decision. I think it's clearly West Virginia. Um, I'm taking West Virginia. Um, Yeah, because, I mean, it looks like Neil Brown has this team really looking pretty good. I mean, you know, I think they're probably a year away from contending, but it looks like they're going to be one of those frisky teams, I think, in the mold of kind of how Matt Campbell had Iowa State before they had expectations, right? Where you're like, ah, crap, we got West Virginia on the schedule this week Um, because they're well coached. I mean, his thing is offense, but like you said, their defenses look really good. Um, Jared Daigie's not going to throw the ball, just not going to make many mistakes. So I don't know. Um, the only I think he only had one game, a one bad game against Baylor. But again, Baylor's defense is good. Um, so yeah, give me West Virginia. Yeah, the thing that I'll say. Well, first of all, I, w- I want to jump in and clarify. Uh, West Virginia is not just number one in both offense and de- or uh, in rushing and passing defense. They are the number one total defense in college football right now, <laughs> ahead of Clemson. Like that's how well they've played so far. Uh, so that's crazy. That yeah. that doesn't seem good. Um, <laughs> You know, offensively, it's kind of funny. I So West Virginia hasn't been great offensively, which is kind of weird. Like, I mean, the numbers are good. They're, t- they're number fine. 17, but yeah. they've turned over the ball a decent amount. They've struggled to, to have consistent drives. It's one of those things where 
the individual pieces feel better than the results. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like where, like I, I think Daggy's been fine, but you know, Letty Brown's been arguably the top running back in the Big Twelve to start the year, and their offense has still kind of just been average. Right. So. I do think that Texas Tech is going to be able to force some mistakes on defense, but yeah, I just, I would love to see Henry Columbia come out and have a big day, but it's just, it's just so hard to see against this West Virginia team. So um, yeah, I I just think if you're only going to, if it's only going to be three points that I have to pick for West Virginia, I I think they can definitely cover that. Yeah. Maybe next week against Oklahoma. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, who knows? I mean, again, I, I think that this Texas Tech team has been put in so many bad situations. Just, you know, again, you open against Texas, have a chance to win. Kansas State has been a face-eating defense. Iowa State's mm-hmm. been a face-eating defense. Now West Virginia's a face-eating defense. Um, you know, Oklahoma, you have a shot. Then you go to TCU, another face-eating defense. Baylor, a pretty good defense. Oklahoma State, an equally good to West Virginia defense, and then you play Kansas. So it's all bad. Let's just say that. It's all bad. <laughs> it never gets better. <laughs> I didn't expect – man, I will say, right, Like just a quick aside, um, mm-hmm. I think that I saw a stat, and this might have been before last week. I don't know whether it's uh, – I assume that it's probably comparable still, but um, that the Big 12 right now has ranked among the top total defenses collectively in college football, uh, which – Part of that is that the offenses are going through a lot of transition this year. That that has to be a factor that's taken into account. But mm-hmm. like I mentioned, I went through that schedule. I mean, suddenly the Big 12 has become pretty salty defensively. I know. Like, it, it's – I don't know what – I don't know what's – happened i mean well one one is that the you know the oh my gosh all offense no defense narrative is just that was like two years and people thought it's been like 10 10 years of the big 12 um <laughs> people were like oh they don't play defense it's like no they just haven't played defense for this one or two years these one or two seasons um but the other one is i feel like <laughs> offenses across the nation have just gotten that much better Right, and they've right. almost taken a back step in the Big Twelve a bit when you look at the depth, um, because obviously teams like Baylor who and TCU who during that era we were used to seeing you know light things up haven't. Uh, Tech decided they didn't care about air raid; they wanted to be a little bit more balanced, so they're not throwing six hundred yards. Um, and you really only have like one or two explosive offenses in the Big Twelve now. And now you have you see teams more committed to balance as opposed to just one side of the ball, which, you know, I will admit, like it was a fad for a while where where the Big Twelve was like, oh screw it, we got to keep up with Baylor or TCU and Oklahoma. Um, but now it doesn't. It seems to be taking a little bit of a step back, and the rest of the country, it's kind of wild to see them kind of get into it now. You know, um, we'll see them play this weekend. But Ohio State now, you know, explosive offense. You know, one of the most explosive offenses in the country. Alabama looks like you know they're just lighting things up now. Um, yeah, it's it's been interesting to see that narrative just kind of shift. Right, and the other thing that you say about all of this is that I think that. Uh, that the Big 12 has become accustomed to having to defend that type of offense much more yeah, than that's, that's other teams. Fair, very true, very true. You're seeing a lot more um, dedication to the secondary and edge rushers and, like, you know, these packages that can... I mean, long story short, you saw how Mike Leach did in the SEC his first game, right? right. right. They, didn't, they didn't know what was happening. Then all of a sudden, oh, okay, this is how you defend it. Well, the Big 12 right. has known how to defend that for basically 10 years. Right. They're... they're 
15 years ahead of schedule right. <laughs> of everybody else. So uh, Mike Leach is not something new and exciting if it comes to the Big 12. <laughs> right. So, so uh, anyway, let, let's move on. Um, okay, I have, to, I have to say, I have to just jump in real quick. Uh, this weekend is going to keep me up late and make me exhausted. I'm a little bit pissed about this because we got games all the way up until 9.15 p.m. What, <sighs> what is happening here? And uh, I'll be perfectly honest. I am sure we don't I'm... have to talk about this game. It's fine. But... <laughs> well, we're not, we're gonna get to it in a second. We're gonna start okay. off with U2A versus Louisiana Tech. 7 oh, that's PM fine. Yeah. On ESPNU. Interestingly, Louisiana Tech's only a one point five point favorite in this game. Yeah, that's really w- considering Lowell Narcisse is out. Um, yeah. And I I just don't know the status of Frank Harris. Like he's gonna play, right? That's that's he's gonna yeah, be he's the guy. Playing. But he played last week. Okay, yeah, but I, I don't know. I feel like I feel like we can use the phrase injury prone with him um, oh. pretty comfortably. So I just don't know. And mm, I think Latte covers comfortably. Like I, 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 I worry that this is a. I don't want to say a come down to earth game because I think UTSA is good. But I feel like this is their this is a stumbling game for UTSA. I think this is one where we look and we say, "Oof, you know, this is some there." There's a little bit more to work on here than they've shown throughout this season. Okay, so the one thing that I'll say is that, you know, again, I think that what we saw in terms of like watching the film has been pretty good from Louisiana Tech. But mm-hmm. you look at their schedule. I mean it. It doesn't show a whole lot for for you, right? Because they've got mm-hmm. a one point win over Southern Miss. You got a four point win over UTEP. Uh, again, you got beat by BYU. Whatever it happens, and you lose by eighteen to Marshall. So, right. again, none of those results are like game changingly concerning to me. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, in, in terms of where I worry that Louisiana Tech's not a decent team, but it's not good, right? Like none sure. of those are are I don't think good results. I think that's fair to say. Um, you know, at the same time, like you said, with UTSA, there's just so many unknowns. You just don't know. Uh, you don't know who's going to be playing quarterback. You don't know. I mean, again, like the back of quarterback this week is Sudden Sapien, which, you know, right. cool. <laughs> I right. don't know. <laughs> like, that's that's not great. Uh, and so, he'd be the, I don't know. If he, if he comes in, he'd be the fifth quarterback to throw a pass this year for UTSA. Yeah, it's kind of a lot, right? right. <laughs> and, and Narcisse and Atkins are straight up out. Josh Weeks has just not played well enough, right? And so, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just... Now, the one thing that you say, right, is that UTSA still has Sincere McCormick, and Sincere McCormick will be the best player on the football field this Saturday. But yes. it just it feels like a lot more has to go right for UTSA to win this game than needs to go right for Louisiana Tech to win this game. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it is worth noting. I mean, UTSA is on a three-game losing streak right now. Mm-hmm. None of the games were ridiculous, right? Like all of the games were hard games. But... I think we would have penciled these as losses anyway, and I think sure. the 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 margin of losses are what's encouraging to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, again, seven to, or sorry, eight to UAB, seven to BYU, both on the road, which is crazy, mm-hmm. and then twelve to Army at home, despite having all the craziness with uh, with quarterback injuries. So. Look, there's so there's. I think that we've been very consistent that there's something there at UTSA. I'm just not mm-hmm. exactly sure what it looks like this week <clears throat> against this Louisiana Tech team. So I'm going to pick Louisiana Tech to win and cover. Uh, again, I mean it's it's not even kind of a, a pick 'em. It's a pick 'em. 
Right. And I think I think I would honestly feel different if Narcisse or Atkins were healthy. But yeah. as much as I like Harris, there's just such a strict cap on what this offense can do with yeah. a quarterback. Yeah, yeah. So moving on, uh, the game of the weekend, SMU versus Cincinnati, 8 p.m. on ESPN2. SMU's a two-and-a-half-point favorite. And I just have to jump in and say the fact that this game is on ESPN2 is absolutely insane. I what's, just, the, what's the ESPN game? I'm I'm pulling it up right now. I believe that the uh, so wait. Let me let me just jump forward and see. So sure, the sure. ESPN game. It's South Carolina LSU. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Are you freaking kidding me? Like oh, the see Miles Brennan. The ESPN game is Michigan at Minnesota, which is another game that's not as good as this game. Just I mean, for the record, I can, I can understand. It's the Big Ten coming back. I can I, I can, understand. I can understand that one. The 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 South Carolina game is un, unacceptable. It's it's indefensible, absolutely indefensible. Big Ten uh, makes sense. You're trying to get that market back the first game right. of the year. But, yeah, that LSU is garbage this year. South Carolina's yes. the exact same team they've always been under Will Muschamp. <laughs> and I do want to be clear, right? Like, when I say that, to me, Cincinnati at SMU is a better game than uh, Michigan at Minnesota, that is also backed up by the rankings, right? Sure, like, yeah. This it, is a ranked number matchup. number 16 versus number 8. This is not... Some, you know, this is not some, wow, Shahanan-ish like this group of five game. This is, Right, the hey, X's and is... O's nerds like, <laughs> like a group of five matchup. Right, right. That's that's not what's happening here. This is actually the biggest game of the time slot. And honestly, I'm, I'm trying to think right now. I think it's the best game of the weekend in terms of rankings, right? I think you might be right. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying look, to pull... I'll have to look at the national slate, but I think or, that sounds about right. I mean, nine versus sixteen or eight versus uh, uh, yeah. sixteen sounds about right. Yeah, there's only a couple of uh, of ranked matchups overall, and so Oklahoma State, Iowa State is six seventeen. So this would, you know, I, I think you could argue which one's better. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's them two. Like that's it, right? And so, mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's gonna be uh, all that to say. Watch this freaking football game. It's going to be, be fantastic. Fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. What are your first thoughts? Who, buddy? Um, my first thoughts are, can SMU get through that Cincinnati defense with the, dealing with its injuries, right? They've looked fine. Yeah. They've looked fine um, without, uh, without McDaniels and without uh, uh, Robertson. But Cincinnati's another animal, right? Cincinnati, it's one thing to look fine against Tulane. It's another thing to look fine, and it's you know, for, I guess we only have that one game to go off of because I guess they got they got injured during Memphis, so that's you know we right. only have that one game. But it's one thing to look good against Tulane. It's another thing to look good against Cincinnati, whose calling court is, has been that defense under Luke Fickle as long as he's been there. Um, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to look at the rest of their schedule. So Cincinnati, so they gave up 20 to Austin P, which whatever first game of the year. Um, since then, 10 and seven. Yeah, I man, that's tough. <laughs> that's gonna be tough to ask a lot of guys who again looked pretty good right against Tulane, but it is Tulane. I don't know if asking Bentley, asking Rice, asking Gray to do the same thing against Cincinnati is is, is enough. And what's the line on it again? So SMU is actually two and a half point favorites. I think I might go Cincinnati outright. Yeah, yeah. So here's the deal, right? I do have to note, um, I I didn't note this coming in. Cincinnati missed last week's game because of COVID issues. Mm. So Possibility. Yes. 
Yes. So they didn't have practice, right? We don't know mm-hmm. who's going to be out. Uh, you know, you'd assume that sort of the big names are going to be there. And they're, they're, I mean, when you're talking about group of five teams, Cincinnati's as deep on defense as any team in the group mm-hmm. of five, right? Like this isn't just a one-time thing. But, you know, the other thing that I'll say about Cincinnati is I definitely don't think they're as battle-tested already as SMU is. That's right. Fair. They played three games. Right. And their three games were against a good Army team, not great, uh, mm-hmm. Austin P, which you don't learn anything in my opinion, and mm-hmm. against South Florida, who been real bad. It's been yeah. real bad at South Florida. So, um, so you know, you you mention, you know, you you only give up ten to Army and seven to USF, but twenty to Austin P and SMU clearly is just not. I mean, it's it's unfair to even like compare those teams, right? right. Uh, offensively to what SMU is doing. Now, the one thing that I'll say, and I wrote about this a little bit last week, is that. Based on what I saw in the Tulane game, it really, and this is weird because Reggie Robertson to me is, I mean, if you're ranking the best players in the state of Texas, I mean, he's what, like four? Like he's he's right. up there. He's yeah. he's a legit superstar to me. He's a complete receiver. Like, I mean, I, I'm not saying I'd take him in the first round of the NFL draft, but like I'd consider it, right? Like I think mm-hmm. he's that good, um, if not for his injury history, obviously. But uh, the thing that I'll say is that I thought that their passing game looked really good. Right, like I thought that um, Danny Gray stepped up in a big way. Rasheed Rice looked fantastic. I expect them to use Kylan Granson a little bit more heading forward. Who, I mean, he's a name that everybody should know by this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tyler Page also had a great game. The thing that's actually more concerning to me is that McDaniel injury because sure. without TJ McDaniel, uh, it just puts a different kind of pressure on Ulysses Bentley. And Bentley is just not built to be like a high uh, a high capacity back i guess you know like mm-hmm. he's not a, he's not a volume back that's not his game i mean he's he's only 184 pounds right like he's he's a little bit of a thin kid he's really the speed right like if you're doing the whole you know uh, shock and awe thing right like mm-hmm. or if you're doing the i'm trying to what what's the style of running back call where you got the power guy and the oh speed th- guy? Th- thunder lightning thunder and lightning right so, like if you're trying to do thunder and lightning he's lightning he's mm-hmm. not supposed to be thunder and I, I think that Tyler Levine looked okay against Tulane, but he's he's not the Thunder that TJ McDaniel right. is. I mean, he's just not. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, they've got some other guys who they could try out. They could, you know, I mean, again, I think that Levine will get more carries in this game. They could use mm-hmm. Tamrick Williams a little bit more. Uh, you know, they, they used Shane Bouchelle a little bit as a runner in the last couple of games, and I think they could do that against uh, at least to Cincinnati, since that's such a big game for this program. But yeah, that that to me was the more concerning thing about that Tulane game was that, I mean, again, they handed the ball to Ulysses Bentley 25 times, and he really struggled in a lot of ways. So if they can come up with a rusher who's going to get them four yards per carry with volume, mm-hmm. I, I feel good about SMU in this game. I don't have especially big reason to believe it's going to happen but you know what i've i've ridden smu this far we put them on the cover of our damn magazine they, they've led us to five and oh i heard all freaking off season about how well smu lost as much why'd you why'd you put them on the cover like fpi expects them to win off-season, seven we games. heard it week one when they we were like still winning one. against texas state but not right. looking as good Right, like I, I remember getting comments where it's like FPI says they're gonna go seven and five, and I was like, "That's crazy to me." And people <laughs> were like, uh, you, "You don't know what you're talking about." I cannot give up on my ponies right now. Okay, I'm picking SMU to cover. 
<laughs> All right. I hate to rain on your parade, but I have some stats to read off. All right, Do you know fair, fair Cincinnati's S&P defensive rating or ranking? Oh, boy. Uh, like five? They are exactly fifth. Do you know <laughs> S- uh, Cincinnati's defensive line stuff rate, which is the rate of plays that gets stuffed at or behind the line of scrimmage? Very good. <laughs> they are ninth. Twenty six percent of their of their plays get stuffed at the line of scrimmage or behind. Do you no, know their man. lines yards? They're they're third. They're third. Oh. Their defensive line is insane. But man. again, I, I I am there with you on believing in SMU, but I am not there with you on taking SMU. Give me Cincinnati <laughs> because that defensive line is nasty. Yeah, and and again, the thing that I'll say right is that. Cincinnati has been awesome. They have not played a team close to SMU's caliber, and sure. and so look, it, SMU. It's gonna be, it's to, gonna be a test. It's gonna be some. It's gonna say something about both teams. Let's put it this way. Definitely, definitely. So, and I mean, I think that uh, SMU's line has played well. I think so far this year, uh, and I think again, if you can get, if you can give me a rusher who averages four yards per carry with volume, and I don't like who's not Bentley because Bentley, mm-hmm. I just don't think is built to do that. It's unfair to ask that of him. Mm-hmm. But if you can have a guy who's going to carry the ball 17 times and get me 80 yards, right? Like you don't have to be great, but if Tyler mm-hmm. Levine can do that, I feel much better about where this team is at. I don't know if it's going to happen, right? Yeah. I really don't. Um, I do expect that SMU is going to hit some deep shots. Like I, I think they're just too good not to. But, yeah, it's going to be an interesting test. And the other thing, too, that I'll say is that, you know, I think one of the keys in this game is going to be whether they can force Desmond Ritter to turn over the ball. Because Mm -hmm. he already has four interceptions so far this season through, again, three games against not a bunch of great teams. Against South Florida, he had two touchdowns, three interceptions, right? So Mm -hmm. if you can can force a multi-interception game, if you can have, you know, those bottles popping on the sidelines for SMU, I think that you feel like you're in good shape. So, yeah. again, it's going to be a great game. I mean, this is This really, is going to be like, fun. I'm really going I'm really excited for this, this game. I might not have this on, like a second screen on. I might just be completely focused on this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, there's a lot left to happen. I'm I'm trying to think though. I mean, this arguably could be the best game of the year, right? Potentially. In, in Texas college football. Sure. So, it'll be a lot of fun. Uh because on top of that, obviously, uh, you know, the, the the Big 12, for example, the teams in Texas have not exactly showed up for us so far this oh, year. God, I, know, right? <laughs> I mean, obviously, obviously you say SMU, I mean, sorry, Texas A&M versus Florida was also a game of the year in college football. But, you know, <laughs> I think I think that those two, these two games kind of stand above everybody else uh, mm-hmm. in terms of the best games of the year. So Definitely. turn it on ESPN, 8 p.m. It's going to be awesome. So mm-hmm. uh, transitioning from that to a game that'll be less awesome. <laughs> Texas State at BYU. Give me BYU. I don't know. That's, <laughs> I don't even know what the line is. I don't care. It's, it's 28. Give me BYU. I don't care. Why? Why? Let me just... I, you don't even have to preface this game. What? <laughs> I'll ask you the questions on this one. <laughs> what? What in God's name do we have to think that Texas State could cover... Even if we think Texas State is better than they've shown, which I, I, I'm starting to f- waver on that, but even, even if we do think that, against BYU and Zach Wilson specifically, what do we think they can take advantage of to close that gap? So the thing that's concerning to me about Texas State is that they allowed 37 points to Troy 
30 points to South Alabama, 51 to UTSA. Like, this is not a team that, you know, and it's, I don't think it's all just the defense being, you know, struggling's fault, but, like, I mm-hmm. think that, you know, again, when they go down in games, I think the defense starts to, you know, take their foot off the gas a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's horrible news against BYU. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the, the thing that I say, too, is that, you know, I've said this a couple of weeks ago, the reason that that a team like Texas beats a team like UTEP basically every single time is because of the disparity in the trenches, right? right? That's why. Like, you can't even have a conversation about a game if you can't at least compete. You don't have to win, but mm-hmm. you have to compete. Uh, again, that's the difference between a team like... Uh, that's the difference between a team like Houston being able to compete with Power 5 schools and other very good teams not being able to do that, right? That's just the difference. And Texas State is very much on the wrong side of this issue when it comes to BYU. Absolutely. 110%. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there's there's very little. I, I will say 28 is a lot. 28 is a lot of points. It's a lot. That's that's bordering on, like, embarrassing, which, yeah. fair. I could, I could, I mean, again, Zach Wilson looks like a dark horse Heisman candidate. I saw him at, like, plus 3,000, and I was like, I might throw money on that. Um, <laughs> I mean, is, is it even dark horse at this point? Like, I mean, Well, I mean, considering, I think- considering, like, Mac Jones and Trevor Lawrence are, like, uh, to me, at least Trevor Lawrence looks like the guy. Um, I think he is a dark horse, just considering the fact that, I mean, how, I mean, could you imagine giving it to a BYU quarterback in 2020? He's earning he's earning it, but like yeah, he, yeah. I think he still is very much a dark horse, which is why like the odds are still so stacked against him. So, so I guess, I mean, you know, because th- this is telling you how much we believe in Texas State to to win this game. Uh, we're talking about BYU's quarterback as a Heisman contender. Oh, he's great, isn't he? If if, if, he, <laughs> if, if the if it ended today, if the season ended today, and let's just assume that Justin Fields is on that stage too, right? Like, let's sure. just toss him in there too. Mm-hmm. He, if if they invite five guys, he's there, right? Oh, for sure. I think I think the five. Uh, you want to try to name them? I mean, we can go. Let's go. Lawrence, Jones, Wilson, Fields. Who's a fifth? Who would you think? I mean, the fifth? I think you can argue Trask. I think you can argue it's ETN. Solid. I think you I feel can like argue... I think they'd throw ETN because I think they'd want to get an on quarterback in there. Sure, sure. Uh, I mean, the big thing to me, right? And and like, not to turn this into legislating the Heisman. I personally like Mac Jones has been great, mm-hmm. but like Jalen Waddles, the dude at Alabama. Ooh, that's you like, know what? Yeah, no. Let I, uh, I think both. I, honestly, I'm that's my five. I'm uh, sorry, ETN. <laughs> I love ETN, but I think it's yeah, Waddle. That's great. Yeah, I mean, to me at least, right? Like I, I look, I watched that Alabama team and. Mac Jones has been fantastic. Like, he's right. been awesome. I, I think that he's been so much better than I expected him to be. But he's awesome because, my God, those receivers are just freaking world beaters, right? Right. He, he's so. To me, he's he, he looks like Jake Coker if Jake Coker had, like, insane wideouts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, so, you know, to, to me, I see him as more of, like, and, and this gets thrown around as a negative. Like, I think he's more A.J. McCarron, right? Like, A.J. McCarron's awesome. Sure. Yeah. You know, uh, he stayed there long enough that everybody was like, well, I guess he's good, right? Uh, <laughs> you know, that's, yes, but, like, we don't have to make him second in Heisman voting. But uh, right. but to me, I think that he's, I think that Jalen Waddle has been just insane this year. Um, sure. But anyway. All and, we say, say, and we take all that to say that I think BYU's going to cover. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So uh, that's pretty much do it. <laughs> I'm not talking about this game. Yeah, you can be in this. <laughs> 
<laughs> that should pretty much do it. Thanks so much to everybody for joining us. Uh, a long episode, but definitely a fun one. Uh, as always, you can find us on uh, all of our work at textfootball.com. I've got a big article up there right now on Isaiah Spiller. I ran some of the numbers on basically how good Texas A&M is when he has the ball, and the answer is really freaking good. So uh, make sure and check that out. Um, you can follow us on Facebook, Dave Campbell's Text Football. You can follow us on Twitter at DCTF. Become a subscriber at textfootball.com slash subscribe. I've mentioned it before. The reason that we've been able to to really keep up our college football coverage and our high school football coverage during these you know tumultuous times or whatever you want to call them uh, is because of our subscribers. So we really would appreciate if you became a subscriber at textfootball.com slash subscribe. Pick up the basketball magazine at texasbasketball.com slash store. It's fantastic. Uh, we're very excited about it. Again, I, I'm probably going to go right after we finish editing this podcast to go and pick up a copy. So uh, thanks so much, everybody, for joining us. For Ishmael Johnson, I'm Shalon J. Raja. We'll talk to you guys again on Sunday.